Thank you, Emmett. Hey, if you got your Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 13. Man, it's good to be home. I've uh, been gone for a couple of weeks, and man, it's it's just absolutely fantastic to be back uh, with Three Rivers, and uh, yeah, it's home. Everybody else is on vacation, but I'm glad you're not, and so it's good to see your faces, and uh, it's always good to be abroad, but it's even better to be home. And uh, and so I'm looking forward to Genesis 13 with you. So Bible, Genesis 13, I'm going to pray, and then uh, we're going to jump into the text. Father, we ask now uh, that Holy Spirit would do what you have sent him to do, that uh, he would illumine, bring to light, uh, that he would counsel and guide. So Holy Spirit, we ask you would do that, that you would bring to light your truth uh, from the word you inspired, that you would be our counselor and our helper and our guide, that you would lead us. That you would remind us of all that has been spoken. Lead us to Jesus that we may see and savor Christ more today. And that you may from that launch us to the dark corners that we may be salt and we may be light. In those places that Jesus may be witnessed to. He may be believed on. And the kingdom may expand. So we beg you to do that now. We pray you do that. We trust you to do that. And know that you have said that if we ask according to your good will, you will do it. And that's your will. And we trust you to do it. Believe that with faith in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis chapter 13. A preparation for Jesus. Preparation for Jesus. And the life of faith in Jesus. Preparation for Jesus and the life of faith in Jesus. According to Luke 24. We just did this this morning on the first Sunday. And I know it's not the first Sunday. But because we've gone the first two Sundays. We did first Sunday on the third Sunday. So if that confused you, my bad. Posted that in May, but it's okay. We began a study through biblical theology and we kind of focused in on Luke 24 because it's, it's very important because it's Jesus' framework for how to read the Old Testament. And Jesus reminds us in Luke 24 that the Scriptures witness, and when He says Scriptures, He's talking Genesis to Malachi, that they witness to Himself. And just like a diamond has many facets, and when I bought... Jennifer's diamond to get engaged to her, which by the way, dudes, you don't have to buy a diamond. And ladies, you don't have to have one. I had to sell my car. And I went to Knight's Jewelers in the Old River Bend Mall. And Dan Knight, who's still a friend, uh, helped me learn about a diamond. And a diamond's cut and it's got facets, like parts of it where it's cut and you see various parts of the diamond and it's beautiful and all that good stuff. But just like a diamond has facets, the gospel, this gospel message, the gospel of the kingdom and rule and salvation of Jesus Christ has many facets to it. And they're woven into the gospel work of Christ, redemption, salvation, justification, adoption, God's justice, God's mercy, God's kindness, God's wrath, the person of Jesus Christ, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, all of these components are facets of the gospel. And they prepare us, as we read the Old Testament, to see, to understand, believe Jesus for all that He is. So we always want to make sure when we come to the text, as we're studying through the book of Genesis, that we see in our text the facets of the gospel, or the facet of the gospel, that is there for us, so that we may perceive and know Christ more, and then become the framework from which we make application to life. Last week, I think Pastor Josh was preaching through Genesis 12, and 
You learned about, and I told you guys, this is hard to let that passage go. It's my favorite chapter in the Bible because it's the chapter in which the Great Commission is first proclaimed. And God calls Abram, the first missionary, to be the prototype of Jesus the missionary. He calls Abram, the first missionary who's imitating Jesus the missionary, to go to the scattered and unreached people that he has just scattered from Babel because they didn't fill the earth as he commanded, so he confused their languages and scattered them throughout the earth. And then he called Abram to go and preach the good news to all those families. And then we see Abram, the failure. Not like Jesus, the opposite of Jesus. We see him like Jesus as the missionary, the one who is to go to the unreached, as Christ will come to the unreached. We see Abram in a negative light because he fails. He goes down to Egypt. And by the way, God calls him out of Egypt. Just like you read in the Gospels. God calls the one that Abram is looking forward to out of Egypt. He calls him out of Egypt after his failure. and lying about Sarai, his wife. And God's gracious to him. And God shows his goodness to him. And God shows his kindness to him in spite of his sin. Pointing us to the fact that even today, when we don't do right in Christ, God still treats us with favor because our righteousness is in Christ, not our good deeds. And so we see in Genesis 12, these two components. And then we jump to Genesis chapter 13, and there are two main points today, and I'm going to lay them out for you. And then we're going to, we're going to quickly, quickly unpack them. The first point is going to be Abram, the missionary man of faith, points us to Jesus through his deferential trust in God. And then we're going to see Abram, the missionary man of faith, shows us what a life of faith looks like. And those are our two main points. So point number one, Genesis 13, verse 8 to 9. Abram, the first missionary man of faith, points us to Jesus through his deferential trust in God. So we're going to have here in this example in verse 8 down through verse 13... Abram's going to point us to the person of Jesus. Let me read the passage, then we'll, then we'll walk through it. Then Abram said to Lot, he said, okay, wait a second. See, you're starting in verse 8, why not verse 4? Because I want to start with the good news, okay? I want to point us to Jesus, and then we're going to see how that affects the life of faith. So if you're wondering why we're starting in the middle, sometimes in the Bible, things don't go chronologically. Matter of fact, most of the times they don't. When you're doing your Bible study, don't expect things to go chronologically. They don't. They go thematically, okay? Everybody tracking? So it's okay to start in verse 8, not verse 1, okay? Everybody good? Y'all don't look like you're alive and happy. You okay? Good, all right. Here we go. Then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you. Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. Abram, this first missionary man of faith, points us to Jesus through his deferential trust in God. Now, I got some students here today who actually taught this stuff. Um, 
I taught them an Old Testament survey that all scripture, and some of them can probably still rattle this off because every test I gave for two semesters started with four questions. And they had to fill in the blank because I wanted them to read the Bible with this lens. And it went like this. All scripture predicts, prepares for, reflects, or results from Christ's person and work. And Genesis 13 is no different. All Bible texts give us a way of interpreting our world and of understanding God from a redemptive perspective. Some predict Christ. And our passage today in particular prepare us to understand an aspect of His nature, who He is, and His ministry. Some reflect the human predicament that requires rescue. And you're going to see that in Lot. And some encourage a grateful and obedient response as a result of God's redemption. Genesis 13 helps prepare us to understand an aspect of Jesus' nature and His ministry as the Son of God. Abram here for us serves as a type, an example, who's going to point to the one who will be the promised offspring from Genesis 3, who will come and crush the head of the serpent. So the question is, how does Abram serve as this type to point us to the redemptive work of Jesus? Now follow me here, you ready? See if you smell something here that's beautiful and life-giving. Abram gives up his right as the one who will inherit the land... That's his base of operations. Now, you remember, you go back. God promised to give him the land. He's the object of God's grace and kindness to give the land. But here, when he could press his rights, he backs off and he defers to his nephew. Just familially, Lot has no right. Theologically, Lot has no right. But the promised heir does not take his rights to himself and he defers to Lot. Abram takes no advantage to himself because Lot is allowed to choose the more fertile dirt. I don't know if you've ever grown anything out of the ground. But good dirt, well watered dirt, dirt that has access to water grows better crops. And Abram takes no advantage to himself, but gives the advantage to Lot. Abram, though, is later going to be called on from a disadvantage to rescue Lot, who was given the advantage. Sound familiar? Let me read you a passage, Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 to 8. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Abram's deferential trust points us to Jesus, who would defer his right as God. Yeah, remember, Colossians 1, 15, 16, and 17, Jesus isn't just a man. He's the God-man. And he is the creator He is the one in Genesis 1 with Father and Spirit creating all things. He's God. He's the one who turned the water to wine because He's the Creator. He's the one who made Abram and Lot. He's the one who called Abram out of Ur, the Chaldeans, and gave him the land. And here's Abram who now knows the Lord acting like the Lord. 
imitating Christ. And this deferential trust points us to the one who deferred his right as God in order to take on flesh, become sin, and take no advantage to himself. Jesus even came under suspect familial circumstances. No advantage to himself. And to die and be buried and rise that we might be saved. And here you go, rescued as a redeemed humanity, which he will call his church at the Father's appointed time for himself. So even right here, we see that Genesis 13 is preparing us to understand the nature of Jesus, the Son of God. Himself as God, Creator, Lord. We see in Abram a pointer to the one who will save us. And we see in that also a way that we are to begin to act too. Because what does Ephesians 5.1 say? Be imitators of God. This is why Paul will preach in his churches. When he plants these churches. And we'll read this in the New Testament. To give deference to one another. Why? Because Jesus did. And we're seeing already in the life of Abram. This example pointed to the one who will come and defer his right as God to save us. Who are victims of the curse. What's some application we can make from this first point? Number one, these passages prepare us to receive Jesus when we get to the Gospels. These are key. And listen, if you're here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus, you've been following Jesus for a while, I want to continue to encourage you and point you to the back half of your Bible. Genesis to Malachi are not to be ignored, but to be engaged because they are there to point us to the beautiful work of Christ and the nature and character of God. No other place on the planet, nowhere else can you find a God, because there's only one, but God like our God, the only God, who is the one who would defer His rights to save us. Which is why we sing songs like, Oh, how He loves you and me. Because the reality is, He didn't have to defer His rights. He didn't have to give up His throne. But he took no advantage to himself because he loves his people. And in the fullness of time, he took on flesh and came and gave up his throne to take no advantage to himself so that in the fullness of time, he could rescue you and I from our sin. And we see in Genesis 13, this preparation to read that message. So as you're reading your Old Testament, strange things start happening. The New Testament starts making sense. As a matter of fact, we read things sometimes in the New Testament and they're quoting Old Testament passages and we're not quite exactly sure how they got there. You know how they got there? You start with Genesis and you work yourself to Malachi and you read it with Luke 24 in mind, understanding the framework that it's pointing us to Jesus and the beautiful facets of the gospel of His kingdom. Second application we can make here. As a matter of fact, let me just back up to the first application to give you a, a New Testament Example, 2 Timothy three fourteen to 15 this is what Paul says to his young protege, the young pastor Timothy, he says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. What sacred writings? The Old Testament. Which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. So listen, dear saint, as you read your Old Testament and you plow through these passages, your faith deepens, your faith increases, you see the love of God for you and His desire to care for you and the extent to which He went to make salvation available. You see His mercy, His grace, His kindness, His love, His justice. And guess what? They all go together. 
It is so easy for us to isolate one piece from the other, but the Bible doesn't do that. God is just and at the same time merciful. And guess what? As imitators of God, we get to be the same. So as we read these passages, the New Testament begins to take on that light. Second application from this first main point is these passages help to make sense of how the New Testament authors are interpreting Old Testament passages and then applying them to their current situation. I said this this morning downstairs as we were studying the introduction to biblical theology. The only way you're going to know how to live in your current world is to be such a student of the Scriptures that you begin to see and savor Christ on every page. And when you do that, there will be the application to your world. Because then and only then are we salt and light. We have something to flavor life with. We have something to bring light to the table with. And it's lives that are saturated with the kingdom of God. And as they're lived out in the public square, we begin to shed the light of these beautiful truths onto our world. And bring flavor to life where there is none. Because that's exactly what you see in the New Testament. This faith in Christ that transforms them into people who engage their world. You'll never see the church in the New Testament isolated unto itself. It is constantly pushing the frontier of the kingdom of God. Which is why this little book at the back end of your Bible called James will say things like faith without works is dead. Because when we see Christ and then we see how he is applied to life, if we have faith in Christ, we will begin to make that application in the world. Okay, so that's point number one. Point number two from Genesis 13 verse 1 to 7. And then verse 10 to 18, we see Abram, the first missionary man of faith, shows us what a life of faith looks like. And we're going to get really down in the dirt and make some application here. Abram, the first missionary man of faith. And by the way, just FYI, there's no such thing. No, This is the reason I'm calling him the missionary man of faith. Because if you've been around Three Rivers long enough, you'll know there's no such thing as they're missionaries and I'm not. The Great Commission equally applies to every single one of you sitting here today and those who are not sitting here today. If you call the name Jesus Christ, the command to disciple the nations belongs to all of us. It belongs to the church. The question isn't, does it apply to me? The question is, how am I going to engage it? That's the question. And, I, and, and the purpose of this sermon is not to fully unpack that. We do that as a community together. If you're in a radical life group, you have a person living abroad that you're responsible for caring with. And by the way, next Sunday we'll report on that trip. And those guys said, all of them said, they spoke to this reality that your care for them from your radical life group is key. So that there is an engagement. Whether you go or don't go, you're engaging the world because one of your members is there serving the kingdom. And your care for them keeps them there. You see what I'm saying? So we got to begin to wrestle through that. The reality is, Abram, this missionary man of faith, lived this out. Does that make sense? And here's the beautiful thing. Abram is never going to make it around the world himself. As a matter of fact... He's not going to wander too far from his homeland. But he's the prototype first missionary. 
Because what he's going to do is produce sons and sons who produce sons and daughters who produce sons and daughters who produce daughters and daughters are going to produce more sons and more daughters. And they're going to carry this message with them until the day at Pentecost when God brings the nations to him and the gospel is preached and they scatter and they carry the gospel further than Abram ever imagined he would go. Meaning your faithfulness today has implications 300 years from now. Which is why, as a person called to apply the Great Commission, these acts of faith matter today. So don't get caught up wondering, how am I going to preach the gospel to the world? Be faithful today. Be faithful today. Because here's the deal, if you're not faithful today, you won't be faithful over there. People come all the time and say, man, I think God wants me to go to the world. Are you making disciples here? No, then he don't want you to go there. If you're preaching the gospel here, you're not going to preach it there. It's just an adventure for you. Matter of fact, I had this discussion with one of our families. I'm told so off the point, but hang tight with me. I had this discussion because they're dealing with a family who's working with them, who's not making disciples there. They're isolated unto themselves because that's how they lived here. If you won't engage here, you're not going to engage there. The magical plane ride doesn't shift your outward focus. If you're not outwardly focused here, you're not going to be outwardly focused there. So we learn to get outwardly focused here, and then you'll be outwardly focused there. Does that make sense? So Abram, this, the first missionary man of faith, he begins to practice. And he's the prototype. He's the one pointing us to Jesus who will come and leave his home to come to us who need to know. And so we're to imitate that. But what we see in Abram is he acts out this global faith right where he is. And God in time produces the results. So my encouragement to you, live faithful today. Just like he's going to live faithful. So let's look at that. Abram, the first missionary man of faith, shows us what a life of faith looks like. Verse 1 to 7. So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had and lot with him, into the Negev. And Abram was very rich in livestock and silver and gold, and he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And that goes back to chapter 12, verse 8. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. And Lot, who was with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together. For their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. Verse 14, the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are. Northward, southward, eastward, and westward. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. So what do we see here in this passage? Number one, Abram retreated back to the source of his faith after his failure in Egypt, calling on the name of the Lord. We see in chapter 12, verse 8, the Lord calls him, he sets him apart. And we see in chapter 12, verse 8, he called on the name of the Lord. And then he fails. He fails. He lies. He fails. And what does he do in verse 1 to 4? He comes up from Egypt and what does he do? 
He goes back and he calls on the name of the Lord. After his failure, he retreats to the place where he first called on the Lord and he calls on the Lord again. High point, low point. Listen to me. The first missionary man of faith is called and the first thing he doesn't do is succeed. He fails. And what does he do? He goes back to his grounding. Abram retreated back to the source of his faith immediately after failure in Egypt. And guess what? This is just in the dirt, rubber meets the road application. You know what? You are going to have those times where you meet with the Lord. He is so real and tangible. You can reach out and cut the atmosphere with a knife. And you will get up from that moment and you will fail. You will fail. And what does Abram do in this moment? Abram retreats back to that place where the altar was built and he calls on the name of the Lord. Abram, the first missionary man of faith, shows us what, shows us what a life of faith looks like. And it begins with the foundational, most pivotal thing, and that is the life of worship. Abram called on the name of the Lord. And when he failed, he went back to that place where he needed to call on the name of the Lord. Meaning everything began and it ended and it started over again in his life of worship. Calling on the Lord, coming to that place where he hears the Lord. A life of living sacrifice, making sure that he was living in a place where he could hear the Lord. And it, it shows us here in this passage that your Christian life is going to be a series of high points and low points. And we get so frustrated because we see other people potentially on the webcasts and on the podcasts and in the books talk about this idea that somehow... It's only supposed to be good. And the reality is, the Christian life is a series of ups and downs, very high ups and very low downs. And the call on us, if we trust in the Lord Jesus and we see Him as our King, Lord and God, and believed upon Him, is when we have those moments of failure, we retreat back to that place where we call on the Lord. Because here's the deal, we never, ever graduate from the gospel. There's no graduating to a new level. There's one gospel, and that gospel is the generator of all life. You don't move on to deeper spirituality. You dive deeper into the gospel. And the deeper you dive into the facets of the gospel, the more those things began to be lived out in our lives. So he retreated back to the source of his faith immediately after his failure. And likewise, you and I are going to have to do that too. So what should you expect? Expect to meet the Lord in amazing ways, but expect to fail too. Expect that if He calls you to do hard things, it's not going to be littered with great successes all the time. Sometimes it's going to be littered with great failures. But you don't know the Lord any less in failure than you do in success. Matter of fact, I would argue you know His provision more in failure than you do in success. Because you know what happens? Even the psalmist prayed this. Lord, when I have these great successes, don't let me forget. Because lest I begin to think that I did this all by myself. You find in those failures, he's the provider, he's the healer, he's the sustainer. And so Abram failed, and he retreats back to that place he needed to retreat to. We see in chapter 13, verse 4 and verse 18, that Abram's acts of faith are bracketed by his worship. We see here in verse 4, he calls on the name of the Lord, and notice how the chapter ends. He moves his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, by the way, which is where the Lord is going to come in human form. In a couple of chapters, Jesus, the eternal Son of God, the eternal Son of God, right? The one in whose image you are made comes and visits him with two angels, and they sit down and they eat a meal together. 
free. Awesome. So he settles at that place where the Lord Jesus is going to come meet him, sit in his tent and eat with him. And he settles there, and what does he do? He built an altar to the Lord. Abram's acts of faith are bracketed by his worship. Meaning the living out of the Christian life, the life of faith, is always going to be bracketed with worship. And you remember we studied through worship not too long ago? That is the life lived. Then it's the song sung. The extent to which we live our lives as living sacrifices is the extent to which we come and sing songs that matter. And when we're living a life of living sacrifice and we're singing the songs that matter, guess what? Acts of faith happen in between that. Which is one of the reasons the Bible prescribes we gather corporately and worship together. It's because this time is, pardon the language, it's magical. And sometimes you don't feel the magic. It just feels rote, right? It just feels road. It just feels like you're going through the motions. But sometimes eating isn't magical. But you know it provides energy to get up and go to work. Not everything you put in your mouth tastes like a bacon cheeseburger with barbecue sauce on it. Washed back with ice cold Dr. Pepper. Sometimes it tastes like bland broccoli. But you know what? It produces energy. It's rote. It's something you have to do. And when you do it, it provides energy. Guess what? God built life that way. So that sometimes the things that are just rote and we get used to and we say it's just rote is the most mature thing you can do as a Christian is stay the course. Because in the roteness, God is working magic. Spiritual life isn't always found in feeling a certain way. Sometimes it's found in grinding out faithfulness when you don't feel like it. And when you grind out faith when you don't feel like it, God is magically at work. This is why Jesus told parables like the seed, right, in the soil. And he said the seed falls into the soil. And we don't know how, but it starts to produce something. And he's telling a parable about the kingdom. He said the kingdom's like that. It's just buried in the dirt. And it gets rained on and it's muddy. But the next thing you know, something alive is coming out of it. That's spiritual life. That's the life of faith. Is between these worship experiences, you and I grind out faithfulness and God makes life. So don't judge spiritual life by these woo moments. As a matter of fact, some of those woo moments might not be the Lord. We think woo is Holy Spirit. Listen, yesterday I was taking off the garbage and I was jamming some Zach Brown band. You know, I mean, I had it, I mean, my big Dodge truck and I'm rolling from the Potts landfill place over here where I take my garbage and I'm absolutely jamming out to toes. And some of y'all won't even listen to me now because you're like, I can't believe he listens to that stuff. I'm jamming and the windows are down and it's thumping. I'm Zach Brown banding and I got goosebumps. And I had this moment, I was just remembering like, you know, because we think goosebumps equal Holy Spirit. No, they don't. God wired music to move us emotionally. Right? He did. That's why music's important to Christian worship. But goosebumps don't equal Holy Spirit. Because I'm pretty sure Holy Spirit wasn't in toes. And if you know the song, you're like, I agree. Right? Here's my point. Don't gauge spiritual life by those moments. Spiritual life is had when you don't feel it and you're grinding it out and the Lord's working His magic. And so Abram's acts of faith here, grinding out deference. You think it felt like goosebumpy to let Lot have the good dirt? No. But he was acting like Jesus. 
And in so doing, God was working life in Abram. And He will in you too. Time to move on from that. Verse 5 to 13. Abram walked by faith and not by sight. In initiating the division of their people and deferring to Lot to have the prime choice of land. The recipient of the promise deferred to his nephew. And he didn't have to guard his future possessions jealously. Matter of fact, he could simply deny himself and relinquish the better part to Lot. And here we have an earthly example or an early example of the contrast between those who walk by faith and those who walk by sight. Sound New Testament to you? Because it is. Because it's Bible. Abram could offer Lot his choice of the land because Abram's might is not in the land but in the God who gave him the land and, and will provide all of his needs in spite of not having the best land anyway. Because Abram's hope is in God, not dirt. You see, we never have to jockey for position in the kingdom of God. And Abram grinds out faith by showing us you don't have to jockey to get first. As a matter of fact, Jesus will come along, the eternal Son of God who showed him this. And what will Jesus say? In my kingdom, the person who is first will be last, and the last will be first. In God's economy, jockeying for position isn't necessary. Because that's not how God works. He works his magic in the last. Which is why Paul will teach the church, don't try to go first. Don't put yourself first. That's not how Jesus acted. He didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he took the form of a servant. You do the same. And all the problems in the local church usually spawn from people jockeying to be first. Jockeying for their agenda. Verse 5 to 13. All that glitters is not gold. Those who walk by faith can be deceived. I think it's important to note that Lot's not a sinner for choosing the good dirt. Matter of fact, 2 Peter 2.7 says that Lot is a righteous man. So it was no sin for Lot when given the choice to choose good dirt. The truth is, however, that what looks and feels good isn't always good. Because you get this little dark reminder in verse 13. After he settled in the land. Yes, good dirt grows good crops. But the people of Sodom are wicked. You see, living out the life of faith isn't always about just choosing the worst or choosing the best. Lot didn't sin and neither did Abram. You see, we're called as followers of Christ to walk in discernment in the application of biblical wisdom, which is the application of biblical truth to every area of life. And guess what? It's not cut and dried, it's not black and white, and it's not easy. Because this passage isn't about choose like Abram, and it's not about choose like Lot. It's about Jesus who defers. It's about the one who is going to come and defer that He might save us. But in the grinding out of daily life and the application of faith, we need to remember that all that glitters isn't gold. Just because it looks good doesn't mean it is good. Which means we have, we have to come to this place that the New Testament teaches us to live in discernment. To listen for the Holy Spirit's guidance. To let the biblical mandates dictate 
what we do and what we don't do. And again, this is not easy. If the life of faith in Jesus were easy, the whole world would be doing it right now. And it'd be selling on QVC. And there'd be a podcast that everybody subscribed to and books selling billions on the five steps to making sure you do this right. And guess what? It ain't there because it doesn't exist. Because, you know, he wired each of you differently, created you for a specific purpose, and you're going to have to grind that out daily, trusting Jesus to lead you in the way of life. We have to be willing to make honest and good-hearted mistakes and trust God to rescue us when we do, because he will. Sometimes you have to make decisions that run contrary to the culture you run in. Because the Lord said to. And you're going to have to receive the barbs from the people in that culture. Because it looks like you're not doing what everybody else is doing. Because you're not. But you have to walk with the Lord in discernment. And we'll see that Lot, even though he didn't sin, God's going to be gracious to him. And here's another gospel picture. Because even when we make mistakes, it's not counted against us. Because in Christ, sin is never counted against you. Because when Lot's living in this awful place, we're going to read in Genesis chapter 19, verse 16, the Lord is going to eat a meal with Abram at his tent. And then he's going to send two angels down to those cities to destroy them. But before he does, he's going to take Lot and his family and get them out because there's people. And God's not going to punish his people. They're my people. In this beautiful passage in Genesis 19:16, Lot lingered. And I would too. Don't, don't cast dispersion on Lot. It's his home, right? He didn't want to leave his home, his stuff. Made life here. But I trust the Lord, and he's lingering. And it said, but Lot lingered. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand. And this little parenthetical, uh, beautiful statement, the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. The Lord wasn't going to let him stay in there. Lot lingered and God grabbed him by the hand took him out. Jerked him out of there because the Lord loves his people. <laughs> so you've got to be willing to make mistakes and trust the Lord to rescue you. That's the life of faith. That's grinding it out. In Genesis 13, 14 to 18, we see here that God strengthens Abram after Abram showed practical trust in him by deferring to Lot. So Abram defers. Let's Lot take the choice. And God comes and rewards this decision making by saying, Hey, Abram. Look to the north, south, east, and west. And if you can count the grains of dirt, you can count your people. You can't. I'm going to give you a lot of people. So trust me. So the Lord came and he met him there and encouraged him and strengthened him and lifted him up and helped him to persevere. We see some things here that are important, and I need to stop because my time's up. But Abram got momentary glimpses. I think it's important to note here that. Abram's glimpses are just those, they're glimpses. When you, when you read the Old Testament, you'll notice this, this difference between what we get in Jesus, who's come and died and, and risen and sent the Holy Spirit to dwell with us and be with us forever, and we have him dwelling in us. Abram didn't have the Holy Spirit dwelling in him. Abram just got glimpses along the way, which is why the book of Hebrews in chapter 11 will commend them for their faith. They didn't see they didn't have this, and yet they walked by faith. He got glimpses. And this serves as a reminder for us and an example of what we have constant access to. We have constant access to not glimpses, but full-on sight. Full-on sight. 
The question isn't for us, do we have sight? The question is, can we access it? And the question for you is, do you access it? You say, how do I access it? It's in the manual. It's in the manual. And the manual's author resides in you, the Holy Spirit. And so the question is, are you accessing it? Because you have full on sight. He just got glimpses. Built an altar, called on the Lord. Lord called him. Next thing you know, he's like, i got to make a decision. What am I supposed to do? I guess I'll defer. And then the Lord comes and says, well done. Listen, you have constant access to that, not glimpses. And the question isn't, again, do you have it? The question is, do you access it? We see in Abram, he's grinding it out with glimpses. Now we see for us in Christ, we have constant access. So here's a question. Are you living in that kind of faith? Are you living in that kind of grinding it out, knowing what the Word says and obeying, listening to the counsel of the Holy Spirit? Matthew 13, 17 looks back and says, For truly I say to you, the Lord says, For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see. Abram longed to have what we have access to and did not see it and hear what you hear and did not hear it. The reality is he only got glimpses and he was grinding it out. Guess what? You have full access. I encourage you, stay after it. Stay after it. Stay after it. And guess what? Here's how we're going to end. If you don't feel like staying after it this morning, can I invite you to do something? Can I invite you to go back to that place like Abram did and worship? May I invite you to worship the Lord in song? Because so often when we don't feel it, the place to go is go back to that place of worship and bow before the Lord, submit yourself to Him, sing songs to Him, pray and listen, and you will find there at the ground and base of all things a faithful Christ who never left. It was us who walked away. So I invite you this morning to be like Abram. Return back to that place and listen to the Lord. Psalm 147.1 says, Praise the Lord for it's good to sing praises to our God. It's pleasant and a song of praise is fitting. Worship is just fitting for Christians. This is what we do. So would you worship with us this morning and continue to grind out your faith? I promise God is working the magic even when you don't think He is. Let's be faithful. Father, we pray that you'll help us this morning to, to make much of you in song. You're good. You're a good father. You're a good husband. Uh, to your bride, the church. We trust you. And even when we don't feel like we trust you, we want to trust you more, so we need your help to do that. So Lord, I ask right now that you would help your people. Holy Spirit, that you would help us to grind out the faith, to live faithfully today. Pray that as we reset to this moment of praise to you and for you, that you would receive it. Because it's coming from hearts of praise that you put in us through salvation. And so we want to sing from that to you. And we pray you'd receive it. But we pray that in that you would also meet us at the very tangible place that each heart needs needs this morning. Because nobody in here is like me and I'm not like them. And the reality is they need to hear from you. So I pray you'd meet them. Meet me. And uh, encourage our faith. Strengthen our faith. Lift us up. Help us to sing. Help us to make much of you. Exalt your great name. And bring us great joy, please.